Hi, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining me tonight. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come boldly before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our life. We ask that you continue to allow us to be redirected, no matter what we're doing, to always be redirected to righteousness and always be directed in the path of righteousness. No matter what happens, God, we ask that you continue to lead us in the path of righteousness, allowing us to see things from your eyes and hear things from your ears so that we can perceive things and understand things from your perspective and not our own. God, we don't want limited information. We want to have unlimited information and we can get that through you. So God, we ask that you continue to keep our hearts and our minds open to you. Keep our hearts softened for you, allowing us to see and um, allowing us to see people exactly the way that you see and perceive them, Lord God. And so we ask that you allow us to receive your word today. Let it resonate in our hearts. Let us be able to have a mature discussion about stereotypes. And also, um, anyone that wanted to contribute, God, put it on their heart to contribute to the conversation, Lord, so that we can get through this discussion and be able to discuss your perspective about stereotypes in this world and the beliefs of this world and how your word influences us and how your word should continue to inspire us and encourage us. So, God, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit Thank you for giving us the ability to be able to communicate with you and have a direct connection to you, God, through prayer and supplication. So, God, we just thank you right now. We ask that you lead us. Um, and I pray specifically that you will lead me in this discussion, allowing me to discuss everything that I need to. Don't allow me to leave anything out. And also, um, God, just please allow your word to stay resonating in our heart. Let us apply what we need to. And we also take our thoughts into captivity for anything that would exalt itself above your knowledge. And we make our thoughts obedient to Christ right now in the name of Jesus Christ. It is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Hey, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me tonight on Laws, Life and Health. Let's talk about it. So today I wanted to discuss the stereotypes. Um, I haven't actually finished the article yet on the... Um, ex-offenders and combating uh, recidivism. So hopefully I'll be able to get on that on Thursday. But for today, I like to talk about the stereotype. So every other day um, when the podcast is open, um, except for Wednesday and Saturday. Okay. So from now on, I will be discussing two different blogs per week. So Starting this week is going to be stereotypes and also um, the future of ex-offenders and um, how organizations within the United States are sort of combating recidivism. And this is a major issue in the marginalized community. So I would love to be able to talk about this, um, but hopefully I'll be able to get on that topic on Thursday and then on Friday, I'll um, pick back up on the stereotypes. So a uh, few housekeeping rules, right? Um, if you all would like to make a statement or you have a question, please go ahead and put it in the chat. I'll be able to respond to you there. If you have any questions about any blogs or uh, posts that I've made on social media, just say that you have a popcorn question or a popcorn uh, statement that you'd like to make about something that pertains to a blog or a social media post. And then I'll respond to that there. 
Also, if you needed a re prayer request, please send your prayer request to um, Laws Life Health at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. Or if you are interested in um, getting um, possibly volunteering, or if you needed to complete some mandated community service from court, or if you wanted to complete an internship or even become an author, send your request to info at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. Once again, that is info at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. Also, if you were interested in suggesting a topic or wanted to discuss one of the previous topics or blogs, send me an email directly at Deanna Watson at SuddenChangesCorporation.org. Okay. All right. So let's get started with this today. So I have a couple videos. I also have a couple reflections, including a few uh, articles. Um, this blog is not actually finished. I have a lot of more information to talk about. So this is probably going to carry over into next year sometime. So if you have any suggestions at all or would like to make any comments, you can also make your comments on the blog. If you scroll all the way down to the end of the blog post, you'll be able to make a comment there. Okay. So um, I want to start out with a scripture. Um, this is uh, Habakkuk uh, chapter 1 verse 6. It says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who marched through the breadth, through the breadth of the earth to seize dwelling not their own. So that word breadth means like it basically means like they march through the earth taking things that are not theirs, right? That's what this scripture is saying here. So when we think of stereotypes, there are so many different stereotypes in this world. Okay, for instance, when we think of the above scripture referencing the Chaldeans, which is like a bitter and hasty nation, right? We see that this bitter and hasty nation is um, somewhat perceived as bitter because they go around, you know, like seizing things that are not theirs. So during that time, the Chaldeans was viewed as people that were, you know, hasty and bitter all the time and they want to basically steal things and take over, right? But um, although they were considered a bitter and hasty nation, God still blessed Abraham, okay? And so when we see the story about, when we see and read the story about Abraham, um, Abraham was Terah's son, originally a Chaldean, right? So Abraham was a Chaldean. Right. And he was also black. And we can see this in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. And um, so let's go to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. So it says, um, Terah took his son, Abram. So Terah is Abram's father at the time. This is Abraham um, was called Abram. Before God tr transitioned his name to Abraham. Okay, so this is Terah's son, Abram, which is later called Abraham. So his grandson, Lot of Haran, of Haran and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So we see that. Terah is Abraham's father. 
Okay. And then we see this in Genesis chapter 11, verse, verse 31. And so Abram at the time was a Chaldean. Okay. And we see this scripture in Habakkuk 1 and 6, where it talks about the Chaldeans being bitter in a hasty nation. Right. And they seizing dwellings that are not their own. So God is taking a bad stereotype here of Chaldeans, right? We see that the Chaldeans have a very, very negative um, perception that people look at them as. So let's go to Genesis chapter um, 15 and verse 7. So Genesis 15 and 7, it says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So in order to understand this, let's take a look here. So, so God takes the people that are perceived as, um, as like beneath, you know, like bitter and hasty. Like we see the Chaldeans are perceived. This is a scripture, Habakkuk chapter one and verse six. They are a bitter and hasty nation. They go around taking things that are not their own. But see, when God has a plan and he has determined his plan upon a person's life, what happens is it's about what God's plan is. So Abraham, yes, he was a Chaldean, but he's not a bitter and hasty Chaldean, right? Because he had a, a good relationship with God. He was proven to be faithful to God. So in order to understand the real story of Abraham, you have to understand that he was originally a Chaldean who is perceived by people as um, Chaldeans are perceived as bitter and hasty, according to Habakkuk chapter one and six. So this stereotype did generate from this scripture because people are going to be looking like look they go around stealing they seizing stuff that is not their own these chaldeans they have a lot of nerve the chaldeans have too much nerve right to be doing this type of stuff so there are a lot of different stereotypes in the world okay and so many times people will say oh well you know this person can't do this or this person can't do that. And then yet and still God elevates them. And so we see this similar story with Abraham. And I would like to talk about a testimony too. So recently I was just talking to one of my friends. And this was like, this was last week actually. And so he, he was going around just saying, telling everybody, oh, you taught me how to read. You taught me how to read, right? Because, um... He actually did not know how to read. And when I would go around him, I would say, okay, well, just read the Bible. You know, just start reading the Bible, okay? And so every time I went around him, I would just say, read the Bible. Just read it out loud. Re read it out loud. Because reading out loud allows a person to actually hear their speech. And then it also allows them to actually, you know, be able to under to, to make sure that they're articulating themselves correctly, right? So if they're articulating themselves, they can hear what they're saying and also reading what they're saying. And, and so it activates the sensories in the in the mind and the brain. And also the the just the sound of hearing them speak allows them to articulate themselves at a much more efficient pace if they were just simply, 
quiet reading, right? They're not reading out loud. So this person, he said, well, you know, you taught me how to read. And I was like, you know, I really did. And God really inspired you. I just prayed for you and gave you some tools to use in order for you to know how to read. And so this person is over the age of, I would say about 30, 37, um, when they started learning how to read. And now they're about 44 and they can read very proficient, so efficiently that I would say that they actually comprehend and can read at a pace where they are actually speaking when they're reading. So that's a testimony at which I have, you know, kind of like helped another person um, be able to overcome some barriers and obstacles in their life where God utilized me to help them advance. And so when we think of stereotypes, the reason why I'm giving that testimony is because that person is very inspired now to help other people read and, and to just say, hey, you know, she taught me how to read. And I know how to read now. Quit saying I don't know how to read. You know, so he's very flamboyant and very, very bold. I'm talking about a very, very bold person who did not care if he didn't know how to read. He didn't care if you didn't care or if you didn't like it or do like it. So he doesn't, he didn't really care about those type of things. And so just to see him improve in those type of areas, it's, it's like a huge progress from start to finish. And it's a steady continuation of progress and it kind of means a lot and so i wanted to reference that testimony because it's so many people that would look at him and be like okay so if they try to fill if they go for a job um and fill out a job application but they may not understand what is on the application right because I've had that too, where, where he would call and be like, could you help me fill out this job application? I need to fill out this paperwork so I can start working or I don't know how to fill this out. Can you guide me? Can you help me? You know? And so I have actually never, ever like criticized his inability to be able to progress because I think that there is no such thing as, um, as being stupid right um i think that people that that foolish people are people who actually can criticize others that are without knowledge and those are the real fools in the world and so people that make stereotypes about individuals who don't know how to read um or know how to progress in society with filling out job applications or maybe even just filling out an application for uh, an apartment or filling out their employment and, um, information. There are people in this world that lack the ability to do that. And so as children of God, we should be required. We should have a duty to intervene to help others when we see that there is a need, regardless of whatever that need may be. So it isn't us to decide, okay, well, why don't you know how to read? The why doesn't matter. What matters the most is when do you have time to be able to read out loud and I'll be a listener for you. You know, it's about walking a person through the process of overcoming obstacles and barriers that is in their path 
So you're not just working with them from the beginning, but you're working with them all the way through the beginning, middle, and end. And so, like, even though this story, it may be small to some people, but this person that I'm talking about is very, very boisterous and very bold, okay? And when I tell you, they are really, like, not afraid to speak and, and talk about whatever it is that's going on in their life when it comes to them not having the ability to be able to read and now being able to do so. So I really admire that type of behavior. And I believe that when God allows a person to progress in areas like that, it shows that the testimony that comes from God um, really, really do have a significant impact on the minds and attitudes of people. So you have to understand that even though you may go from having little, you can always improve and go higher because through your testimony, God says in his word that you are saved by the word of the, the, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So your testimony actually can impact your attitude and it also can help you improve in areas that you are weak. So I want to um, talk about another scripture too. I usually always kind of reference this, um, uh, but okay. So this scripture here is in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verses nine through eleven. It says, "But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect." in your weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that christ's power may rest on me that is why for christ's sake i delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when i am weak then i am strong and so just referencing this scripture second corinthians 12 9 and 11 and as it pertains to the testimony of my friend, it really do means it really do mean a lot because sometimes you can really go through a rough time in your life. You may be prevented from getting a job because you got hired over someone else that had a higher social class than you because of their race, right? Or maybe because of their socioeconomic status in a way where they have a a stronger network of people who will hire them over you, right? Those preventative measures sort of prevent you from advancing in society. And it's because of these stereotypes, right? So stereotypes are really something that prevents society from pushing forward and having a mindset that creates a life that's congruent to you thriving in this society. So how do we sort of understand all of this while enduring stereotypes? So sometimes stereotypes could lead to microaggressions, but I haven't gotten that far in, in this process yet. So I probably will talk about that sometime next week. So going back to the story of Abraham, we see that in Habakkuk 1 and 6, that the Chaldeans were perceived as bitter in a, a hasty nation. They would go and seize dwellings that, not, that is not their own. But even though this stereotype was perceived about them, God took a negative situation of Chaldeans 
and he used Abraham, who was a Chaldean, to be blessed, right? So let's let's look here. It said, so Chaldean is located in Iraq today. So Chaldeans um they are also a part of the Sunnians, right? So according to this is according to gatquestions.org, they sort of give an inaccurate account of who the Chaldeans were. And I've already talked about this. And hopefully maybe one day they will change it and go back and, and edit their um information on the Chaldeans in the Bible. But um so far, if you click on the link that says Gat Questions, okay, this is gatquestions.org, it'll take you to one of their blogs or article posts. Um and so they talk about um, the Chaldeans being a people of Southern Babylonia, right? And they are actually located on the Southern part of Iraq today. And so the term of Chaldeans is used to refer to Babylonians in general. Okay. Um, also the land of the Chaldeans were um, the Southern portion of Babylon or Mesopotamia. Okay. I talked about this on another blog. I believe it was about Israel. So if you go to breaking news and I do have to edit that section. So hopefully I'll get around to doing that. I'm not sure when I'll be able to, but I will. So, and then, and then they talk about how, um, the Bible mentions Abraham's father, Tara, who lived in the Ur of the Chaldeans and, um, how Abraham is a descendant of Sham. Um, out of Ur of the Chaldeans so that Abraham would follow God to the land that God had promised him. Okay, so I guess they did take it out. It looks like they did. <laughs> that is so interesting. I'm glad because I talked about this and I was like, I, I really do hope that they really correct the fact that they talked about Abraham because they had said on the previous blog that Abraham was Iraq and Abraham is not Iraq. Okay, he's not an Iraqi, period, at all. So I'm glad that they did correct that. So I don't see it there. So I will go back and edit this blog post because they corrected it. <laughs> so I'm gonna say they give a um I'm gonna say they give somewhat of a demystified breakdown or demystified um analogy of the Chaldeans, okay. demystified analogies of the Chaldeans. Okay, so that's the way. So I'm editing it, everybody. I'm so happy that they changed that because I'm like, wait a minute, Abraham was not an Iraqi. So this is why I said they gave an inaccurate accounts, but I, I feel really excited that they changed it. <laughs> okay, so moving forward. Um, so I've edited that. So now we can also look here. I wanted to look. Okay. So yeah, it's, I, I put the link in two different places so you can access them there. So now I wanted to look at, um, Genesis chapter 12, verse one through three and also verse seven. So now we see now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred. And your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. And so this is so interesting, right? Because the promised land, so many people are having discrepancies with that. But, you know, when we think about um, the Palestinians, um, <laughs> the land was not originally the Jews. Okay. It was actually the, the Philistines. The Philistines were later called Palestinians by the Greek. Okay. And so that's who land it was. Okay. We, and I'll talk about that shortly on a few scriptures. Um, so I wanted to reference this other article. This is an article by Henry, um, Kwadwu Amoka 2022. So he talks about the Chaldeans of Babylon and the black-headed Sumerians, right? So the first writings from ancient Babylon originated from Sumerians in Babylon, which is now Iraq today. So many of those um, individuals were pagan, right? Polytheistic, okay? And so they had these religions where it went against the principles of God. So they basically worshiped multiple gods, Okay. And looking at this article by um uh Henry here, he talks about the Chaldeans in Babylon and how Abraham was originally black. Okay. And so I wanted to reference that because at first gatquestions.org they had given an inaccurate account of the Chaldeans. All right. But we no longer have to consider Abraham being an Iraqi because I have already demystified the information on previous blogs showing that Abraham was in fact black. Okay, so he was a descendant of Shem, which is coming from the Jews. All right, which is originally uh, Jews and the word, the name Hebrew is originated from. I'm trying to think. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So moving forward here. So we see that the ancient Chaldeans were black, according to this article. But not just that, but they were also considered like black-faced people. So this would make sense because Sarah chose her maidservant, who was also black, right? There were relics of prehistoric blacks discovered in the region whose earliest civilization was Sumerians, described in the Babylonian inscriptions as black-faced people. So the mainland of the Chaldeans was in southern Mesopotamia and included the city of Babylon, right? The city of Babylon is what? Now Iraq today. So Abraham was considered a foreigner because he was a Chaldean. Going back to the scripture of what? Genesis 11 and 31, Genesis 15 and 7. Abraham was Terah's son, originally a Chaldean, but God blessed Abraham. But Abraham is a foreigner himself. 
So when people talk about Judas and Judette, first of all, we have to understand that Abraham was a Chaldean that was black. He was a foreigner. And we see this in Genesis 11 and 31 and Genesis 15 and 7. And referencing back to Habakkuk 1 and 6, we see that the Chaldeans were what? Bitter and hasty. So even though he came from a negatively perceived race of people, which were Chaldeans, God blessed Abraham. So it really didn't matter about the perception that they had about Chaldeans because God took that negative perception about the Chaldeans and took Abraham out of that. And so Abraham was considered a foreigner because he was a Chaldean. So we see in Genesis chapter 12, 1 and 3, how God is saying to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So when we look at the word nation, it is Strong's number 1471. And this means Gawi in Hebrew. And so it is pronounced Goi or Gawi or Goi. And it means a foreign nation, a Gentile, heathen people. Okay? So when the, the Bible is referencing in Genesis 12, 1 and 3 about nation, it's referring to a foreign nation, a Gentile, a heathen people, okay? So what this means is that God is going to make a foreign nation come from the descendants of a foreigner, which is Abraham. So you have, you have all of this scripture that just simply confirms who Abraham is, okay? So the, the word of God can't be refuted at all because it's so accurate. It's, it's archaeology. We also have evidence to show that the Bible is real, right? So we see that, um, that God was going to make a foreign nation come from the descendants of Abraham, okay? Because we see that the word nation that's mentioned in Genesis 12, 1 and 3, that it means foreign nation, a Gentile heathen people. Okay. So I want to move forward and talk about, um, I want to talk about stereotypes, but I really want to reflect on someone else's perception of stereotype. So I have this video, right? And I like to play this video. And this is actually, um, a video by Dr. Uh, Kira Hudson. And let's see how long it is. One second. So this video is about a couple minutes long. But she's going to just give her interpretation based off of her analogy and research of what she believes is a um, thorough explanation of stereotypes. So it always helps to, you know, analyze a perspective that is not your own. Even though we do understand that that perspective always has a meaning, we still want to reflect on the understanding of others. So, Stereotypes by Dr. Kira uh, Hudson Banks. All right. So, this is a couple minutes. I'll reflect 
after I play another video after this one, I'm going to play um, what is a stereotype by um, and this is explained in a couple minutes. So and I'll reflect on both of them after. Stereotypes are mental shortcuts that we take that help us quickly understand a group or make assumptions about a group. And it's important to be aware of them because sometimes they're wrong. Many times they're wrong. The problem with stereotypes is once we have them, we have a tendency to psychologically confirm our stereotypes. So we have what we call a confirmatory bias. We see information that fits our stereotype and information that doesn't fit our stereotype, we just throw away. There's also different types of stereotypes. There can be stereotypes of omissions and then stereotypes of distortion. So sometimes we create stereotypes about groups because they're just simply not even in the picture. So we have to come up with a story. That often happens to American Indians. Sometimes the stereotypes are created because caricatures or distorted images of people are portrayed. That happens a lot and has historically occurred with African Americans. The hypersexualization of black women, the over-aggressiveness or assumption of violence of black men. So it's important to see our stereotypes and those shortcuts we take so that we can question them and be aware of how they might trap our thinking about other groups. Another thing, sometimes people say, oh, well, that's a good stereotype. But any stereotype that limits our understanding or ability to see somebody in their full humanity is not good. Stereotypes, when applied generally without thinking and checking them out, are problematic, whether the content is good or bad. Nursing students, please tell me that you are not relying on reading this thing to study. Let me show you a better way. You go to Lecturio. They have all the video lectures on all things nursing. They're short, engaging, and you can match up your course of... Hi everyone, it's Yanis here, and in this video, we will explore what is a stereotype. Do you ever judge things just by looking at them? Let's take a look at stereotyping. If this is your first time on this channel, then make sure you subscribe and hit the bell icon to get updates on my latest videos about time management and productivity. A stereotype is an overgeneralized belief or thinking about a particular person, group of people or situation. Even if you don't think about it, you're constantly creating mental models and stereotyping the world around you. If you go to the restaurant and order the meal that you didn't enjoy, then you might stereotype it and never order it again. Or even worse, you might stereotype the whole restaurant and never come back. If you go for a run and get really sore next day, then you might stereotype running and decide that it's not for you. Our stereotypes are created by our experiences that we later turn into the beliefs that we decide to follow. From one side, it's good as it enables us to quickly make decisions like waking up early and going for a run, as you wouldn't want to question yourself every time if it's the right thing to do. If, however, you create negative stereotypes about positive things like exercise and eating healthy, then that will lead to negative consequences. If you start a business and fail, then you can't stereotype it and decide that it's not for you. You have to be willing to try again and again. So you have to develop a growth mindset so that you can keep learning and moving forward. You have to be open and flexible about the change. If you can adapt to the changing environment, then you will always survive and strive. 
So look at the things in your life to see if there are some old stereotypes that are holding you back that need to be removed. I hope that you enjoyed this video and I was able to give you a quick overview of what stereotype is and what role it plays in our life. If you enjoyed this video, I would really appreciate if you could press the like button as this will help the video reach more people and spread the message. Okay. Thank you all for listening to that. So a couple different reflections, right? The first one on with Dr. Um, the first one with Dr. Kira, right? Thanks. She talked about stereotypes being the mental shortcuts about groups, right? This can lead to confirmation bias. So when we think about, there are so many different biases and I've already talked about biases on a different blog. I believe it was love, hate, and benevolence or maybe it was a different one. I think it could have been um, just, I, I'm trying to see, I don't know. I don't know which one, but I wrote so much. But I talked about the different types of biases. So confirmation bias is basically like, Things that people want to believe, even though it's not true, right? They still going to believe that it is true. So like, for instance, some people may believe that this is a very good person, right? So recently, I'm going to give you an example. Recently, I was just reading a blog. Um, no, not a blog. I was looking at a social media status of somebody that's one of my friends on Facebook. And so this person always talks about God and and really, really demystifies the Bible and breaks it down. Many times that individual are posting memes on social media. And so what I said was, well, I, I made a comment about the meme and I, I thought it was interesting. But prior to me making a comment, there were like tons of other comments where people were upset about the meme and they didn't support the meme and they don't like the idea of Paul doing this and, and they just didn't like memes because memes are too secular. And so what I did was I made a post and I responded in his comment section and said, well, you know, this is a problem because he... The word of God tells us that he's after the unsaved, right? So it isn't the, the healthy people that need the doctor. It's the unhealthy people that need the doctor. So let's go to that scripture. Unhealthy people need a doctor. It is not the healthy, but the unhealthy. And so we see this in... um. If you all can turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, it says, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Actually, it's a, it's a verse after, after that too that I want to look at. So let me just go. I, I love reading verses um, before and after. So let me go um, and look at the entire thing here. So it says, Jesus calls Levi and eats with the sinner. So after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. 
But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. Who do you eat and drink? Who? Why? No, it said, I'm sorry. My, my phone was ringing. Hold on one second, everybody. I hope. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so I posted this scripture on the status of that social media post. And I said, you know, if you all have a problem with a meme that a believer have, how are you going to reach the non-believers? So the problem is, is that you have this religious Pharisees um, type of behavior that's still prevalent in society because of these distorted ideologies that they have with their religious beliefs are so radical, right? They're so radical that they can't even seem to really impact the non-believers. And so it's, it's quite interesting because... When you think about confirmation bias, if you are to analyze the religious Pharisee, Pharisees and Sadducees, right? These people are going to definitely believe what they're saying is true. Okay. So it doesn't matter if, if it's not true. Confirmation bias causes a person to believe the truth even when it's not true. They just end up believing it to be true anyway. So the facts are like, so another, another example, right? I am always analyzing things from a factual perspective. It's not, I, I don't really care about opinion too much. And I've been like that for a very, very long time. And so I, I was in class and, and there was somebody in class they were talking about, well, how do we sort of integrate facts and opinions without, you know, like when you're, when you're factually based, you are a facts based person, right? Where you just love discussing the facts. It's like when, when opinions seep in, you're not talking about something that makes sense, but in confirmation bias, People are going to believe untrue things to be true because of their subjectiveness. So what this means is that they are so caught up into supporting this idea. They doesn't matter what you say to them that they've already they've already believed it to be true. That's confirmation bias. They have these sort of hyper focused ideas that it doesn't matter what evidence is presented before them, they are still going to support confirmation bias, subjectivity, supporting ideas that they are going to believe to be true, whether the evidence su suggests that it is or it isn't. Okay. And that's the problem in society, really. So many times, I remember when I worked for President Obama back in 2008, and I was working at the Senate office, not the campaign. I worked in um, 230 Dearborn, downtown Chicago, at the Senate office. 
And so the Senate office and the campaign is two separate entities. We don't discuss those two things at all. Like the Senate office has to do with the constituents of Illinois, while the campaign is presidency, period. Right? Most people really didn't understand that idea. Right? Because it's like, no, no, no. I want to talk about this campaign. I want to talk about this. This is a separate entity, okay? The Senate office is a completely different entity than the campaign, right? So people, they wanted to just, it didn't matter to them, okay? Another thing, like, I remember when Obama, he actually addressed the nation in, you know, jeans. There were people that were upset about it. Well, how can you get upset about uh, president addressing the nation in jeans. Well, he has the highest position in the country. Why is he allowed to dress that way? Well, see, you never know. The person that you're neighbors with could be somebody who's a scientist, but they're wearing leggings, right? You don't know. They could be a new neurosurgeon and wearing some skinny jeans. And gym shoes. My son's Dennis, actually. He has braces. And he's headed for a while. And his Dennis always come to work with some new Jordans. Like, every week this man has on a new pair of Jordans. Like, the old school collection. And he's a Caucasian man. And he's like, my J's beating your J's. Right? That's the way I'm like. It, this, this Dennis right here is so cool. Okay? Um, and so that's how he kind of relates to his patients, you know, with shoes and jump shoes, specifically Jordans. And you wouldn't perceive a, a dentist of his statue to actually be talking and wearing new J's in his little gown, right? But he does. So Quit stereotyping people. Stereotypes is is negative. We see. Um, she also says, Doctor Doctor uh, Banks also referenced that it limits your understanding of people, and I really kind of I like that reflection that she has because many times, like I said, when when my friend didn't know how to read, it was embarrassing to him. He was uncomfortable to read out loud. So I created an environment where it's okay to not know. Because before you knew how to drive, you didn't know how to drive. Before you knew how to get a job, you didn't know how to get a job. Before you knew how to love, you didn't know how to love. So everything is something that you have to learn everything in life have and must be learned and this is so important to eliminate these stereotypes because it will limit your understanding so today i was actually talking to somebody i'm i guess i didn't even realize that i really combat stereotypes I really do. And I didn't even notice that I was doing it that much, but I do. Um, I'm just noticing this. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing this to me. I didn't know that this was one of my major qualities is combating stereotypes. But um, 
I do know that I disrupt cultural norms and that has been a long process. Okay. It's a journey disrupting cultural norms that are um, negative. Okay. But I, I was talking to someone today and we were talking about the opposition where I was, well, I was saying that, you know, in order to understand people, we can't just simply look at things from our perspective. When you just see things from your lens, you're not being creative enough or broadening the scope to the point where you can understand others. So for instance, if you had a million dollars and you have been impoverished your whole life, a million dollars isn't gonna really subdue your happiness. Your lack of happiness is what I would say. What it's going to do is provide temporary relief. When you attach your happiness to external factors, then your happiness will never be satisfied. But when you are creating an environment where you can enjoy the fruits of your labor with other people, that makes it even, that makes it more of a, a quality than uh than just having the money and just enjoying it alone so if if you like i've talked about this before you have a mansion you know and you got all these bedrooms like i had a six bedroom house i actually always had multiple houses and that's because i'm doing multiple things like i i kind of i guess i feel like i was living multiple lives okay but when I really think about it, I, when I had a six bedroom house, I also had two other houses, but I wasn't there at the other houses that much, but when at the six bedroom house, it just created a lot of dust, right? My kids didn't want to be there. They got their own life doing what they want to do. Okay. And so what's the point of having a big house and nobody in it? dust i have allergies when i get out when i get allergies it's bad so i really pray to god god please I, I like right now i feel like i'm getting sick okay i've been praying today about this i do not like having allergies it is horrible i didn't start catching allergies after i was 35 years old and i understand how i get these allergies but um yeah so that's the point like that house it had collected a lot of dust so it's meaningless to have um you know a big old house with not too many people in you know so you have to think about those type of things life is about making an impact in the lives of other people and yourself how can you make how do you make other people feel I know sometimes when I'm getting upset about things and I feel like if you downplaying me, I want to kind of downplay you in a way, but I don't, I don't want to be like that. So I don't, I don't try to be in a way or act a way where I'm not trying to be humble. So am I going to make mistakes? Yes. We all make mistakes every single day. We inadvertently make con conscious mistakes and unconscious mistakes. Yo, conscious mistakes is like, look, I intentionally know that I hurt this person's feelings. Your unconscious mistakes is saying, 
Look, you just made a mistake and you didn't even know you hurt that person's feelings. How are you going to go back and reflect on that? So it's all about having this self-reflexivity. So when I was younger, this, this is the first time I ever actually tried to have an open mind about, you know, the opposition. Because I, I, I became curious. See, I think a lot of people, they lack the ability of curiosity. When when you are curious, um, and, and see, I talked about being curious on the, the previous podcast of Women's Health. I believe that that's one of my last posts uh, that I talked about, one of the last podcast um, episodes that I talked about is being curious. So we see that Eve, yes, yeah, she was curious but we're not talking about that type of curious. We're talking about being curious for God. We're talking about being curious more about the word of God. What does this word mean? What is God trying to tell me in my experience? What is this situation that I'm experiencing and going through in life? What can I learn from this? God, I don't want to take 50 years to learn. Can I learn this in a week? What you trying to show me in this situation? Can I learn it in a few days or maybe a few hours? Can you can you immediately let me learn? You know, what is God teaching you in your experience, in your situations? Because, see, you're in the position you are because God has allowed it to happen. Regardless of whatever you feel or think. So when I think of recycled mistakes, I say, oh, God, Lord Jesus, no. I don't want to recycle no mistakes. <laughs> the recycle mistakes seem like, oh, I just went through this. No. So sometimes I avoid certain things for a very uh, a long time. But going back to the topic, because I don't want to deter too much from that. When we, when you think about understanding the opposition, you have to understand the voice of the other, right? So even though I went, I like, for instance, I went through a lot of stuff in my previous marriage, right? I did. And when I think of polygamy, to me, that wasn't something that was bad. You know, it brings satisfaction to the marriage. But really, when we look at the throughout the Bible, it, it it shows the evidence in the Bible all the way from the Old Testament and in the book of you know like um, the Hebrew translations of the Torah and everything. We see that each time a person had multiple wives, there was always problems that were accompanied to that, right? And so, analyzing it from that perspective, we have to understand like, look. This situation that you're going through, God is trying to tell you something. What is God trying to tell you? So you need to try to pull out the information that God is trying to show you and what God is trying to teach you. And you won't be able to do that without understanding a perspective other than your own. And I'm going to say that again. We won't be able to change without understanding a perspective other than our own. So God's word is, is you, let's go. I want to go to, um, I want to go to this scripture too.
Hold on one second. So you go to 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, let me explain this. So God was speaking to me a long time ago. This was so long ago. I just... I probably was 20-something, like maybe 21 or 22, 23. I was very young. But I became curious about understanding other people because I was going through a lot of stuff. I've been subjected to so many different things in my life where I have hundreds of probably, I, I probably have thousands of uh, stories to tell, okay? Because I've been around like, multiple races of people i've been around all type of foreigners i've been around all type of rich people uh poor people um i've been around multiple different socioeconomic groups of individuals and groups of people okay and so with me being subjected to those environments each environment is um each environment was different so I began to understand that what we have to do is understand other people. And so I became like, I really wanted to understand the minds of people and why they react and, and do to some, some of the things that they do, right? And so I, I was just begin studying, studying on my own. And I did my theological studies when I was about 17 to maybe 19, 20 years old. So that's when I began to study other religions and stuff. And when I sit here thinking about all of this and putting it into a collective perspective, I am really like, okay, look, we need to understand the opposition. So the first step at that was, was really going and studying different religions. And then my grandmother would be like, why are you letting them Mormons in the house? You know, see, darkness can't live with light. I'd be like, Grandma, God is at the people that don't believe, not people that believe. You saved, you understand God's word. So, no, that really, I do not like the real, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be a religious Pharisee, saw the seat. Okay? Ever, ever, ever. That's the worst thing. That you could be. And that's a, there, there is actually something where they actually, um, where the Bible talks about them having a position in hell, okay? That's different from other, other people. So when you are religious and you are a Pharisee, Sadducee, you can't reach people the way that you need to because your mind is so constricted to just your perspective. That you can't understand the perspective of other people. And so if, if somebody was trying to apply for a job with you and you had your own business, they don't know how to read. Would you hire them? Or would you give them an opportunity to utilize other skills that they may be able to do? Like utilize their hands, right? You know, maybe they have a, a good way to probe into problem solving techniques 
Ask the person their skills. What are your top strengths? What are your best abilities that you'll be able to perform on this job? You know, diving deeper into understanding people than just what meets the eye. So in order for us to advance further, we have to understand the voice of the other in the opposition. So I go from now, I'm, you know, I'm a believer in Christ, a disciple of God, a servant of Christ, right? When we understand that we are slaves to Christ, you, you understand that you actually have to give up life to live for Christ. And so I wanted to understand other perspectives. I wanted to understand other religions. I wanted to, I was reading the Quran. I read the Book of Mormons. I read the Jehovah Witnesses. I, I mean, I was just reading all this type of stuff. Everything about Masonry and Eastern Stars. Okay. I want to know about everything. Why was I so curious? Well, it's simple. When you are curious about other people and why they understand things the way that they do you're more likely to be able to help them get through what they're experiencing but we're gonna we're looking at things from a perspective that's just subjective that's like look i only support my beliefs i'm only gonna support my ideas i'm only gonna support me and mine you know like it isn't just about you it's about everyone else around you thriving too. Right? And so I think my hardest problem was just the inability to get through to people that are very, very hard. Like, you know, and so we also have to understand that sometimes we're not going to reach everyone. But what God wants us to do is to pray about all things. So <laughs> yesterday I was talking to my sister and I love giving these examples. Now God told me to give more examples. So I'm going to try to give more examples because I'm always talking to people. So I was talking to my sister yesterday and we were, um, we were talking about just how people in general. And I said, you know, life is really about the choices that people make. God has given us free will. So with your free will, you have a choice. It doesn't matter what ideas are being sold to you. You have a choice to go out and study. You have a choice to understand that it's a higher power. You have a breath that you breathe. That's invisible. Your breath is invisible. So if your very existence depends on the invisible to survive, why can't you understand that there's also an invisible realm that depends on your spiritual existence to survive? So the things that we see with our eyes are, are limited. And so in order to overcome these delimiters that clouds the mind and influence our 
subjectiveness and objectiveness, we have to eliminate many of these stereotypes. And so that's something that I really, I guess, support and sponsor the ability to disrupt cultural norms. So I want to go back to the video with Dr. Um, Dr. Kira. Limits, confirmation bias, stereotyping, limits your understanding and it's problematic. And so it is problematic because, let me explain something to you all. The person that I was talking about that couldn't read was very, very, is a very, very, very intelligent person to me. This person has a very good heart when it comes to like caring for others. They're always going to feed other people and they'll eat last. They have a, a heart of um, just service to others. And that's so interesting to me because most of the time when you're making food, you're going to eat first yourself. You're making your plate first. You know, it don't matter how many people in the house, your plate going to get made first. That's how some people are. That's a stereotype. Right. That's a stereotype that I have, I guess. Right. Um, because that's what I've seen. So my stereotype developed from me, my experience. So stereotypes develop from experiences. But in order to fully understand, we need to say like, okay, well, no, maybe I shouldn't use that word and say that everyone is going to make their play first. So instead of saying everyone, I can say, okay, well, some people make their play first because he's the exception to doing that. He's the exception to the rule. So when you see people that are the exception to the rule, you can no longer put them in this category and um, create this mental shortcut about this group or individuals, group of people. Quit creating mental shortcuts about people and understand who they are. And so that's kind of like how I've been for a pretty long time, right? So... I understand the way I understand things is, you know, we all are going to make mistakes. But when someone make a mistake against you, do you do you give them a lifetime sentence, a condemnation like, oh, no, I'm never dealing with that person again. I think that is a form of bondage. You don't live life in bondage. You forgive and move around. <laughs> That's it. Like if you're in bondage through unforgiveness, how are you thriving? That's, you know, that's another delimiter that needs to be overcome. So it's about like when people make mistakes, you walk in forgiveness and you truly forgive them and move on. That's it. It's nothing else, nothing more to that. So if you are going to live life and walk in a way where God wants you to be, you know, like his child. So you're going to do things like his child. Then you're going to walk in forgiveness. It's like, okay, I've heard people say, well, you know, all men is cheaters. Well, no, no, no. See, you chose the man who you wanted to, you know, lock in the house with you all day. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you feel that that man just, you know, was gonna ever gonna be faithful to you then 
when you see him not being faithful, that's when you should have left him alone. Because, see, you can't change people. God doesn't even force people to change. So if God is not forcing people to change, what makes you think you have the power or ability to do that? This is what bothers me with so many, <laughs> so many people, especially with censorship. Like when they're trying to censor information, I it bothers me. I'm like, look, God, this is wrong. This is unethical. What's wrong with these people, God? They sitting here censoring everybody. Who gives them the right to do this? God, you don't even force people to do nothing. So, you know, the laws of the land are, laws are in place for a reason, you know, to prevent anarchy, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, just a, a rebellious society. So we understand that laws should be implemented, right? But, you know, repugnant laws that violate our freedom of speech and, you know, these things are quite concerning, so going back to the stereotypes, right? In order for us to overcome these stereotypes, you have to be someone that is able to say, look, I know you made a mistake. I'm not about to put every single person in that category. See, because a woman like me, if my husband cheated, that, I don't know. I mean, that's not the only reason for separation. Because I used to feel like I was depriving him of sexual intimacy. So my deprivation to him of not having sex caused him to go out and go sleep with somebody. So if you want to voluntarily bring another woman in the house, that's fine with me too. I don't have time. Maybe she can make more time for you than I can. Okay. So with some women, they would be like, oh, how do you do such a thing? Oh, you don't care. Well, I do. <laughs> I actually do. You know, with some things, I guess I'm not too attached to certain behaviors, but that's neither here nor there. God has healed me from that because God wants the union be be to be between a man and a wife, right? Not multiple people, multiple women. All right. So I get it. But just because you choose to date someone or marry someone that it's always committing infidelity. What do you think? God is going to get rid of every single person of the opposite sex for you? Like, no, you have a man that's a cheater. You have a wife that's a cheater. The rest of the people who are the opposite sex are not going to disappear because you have a, a spouse that commits infidelity. So that's the same way. God isn't going to get rid of of the devil just because the devil is in the earth doesn't mean that you supposed to choose the devil god is not going to get rid of every single man because your wife cheats god isn't going to get rid of every single woman in the world because your husband cheats temptation is real <laughs> but it's not going to go away so if, if you don't know how to deal or have self-discipline, of course, you're going to experience these temptations that may be influenced by evil and wickedness. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to it, right? 
Um, sometimes we do. We do give in. And so, like, even if you do mess up, you still call upon the name of the Lord. Just say, God, forgive me. I'm I'm here. I made a mistake. Forgive me. If I keep doing it, I'm steady. I need you, God. That's all you can do. So, like, when it comes to taking these mental shortcuts about groups, you know, you may have a cheating spouse. But that doesn't mean that you have to stay with that cheating spouse. Because the Bible tells us clearly that a man should treat his wife as he treats his own body. And he lovingly cares for himself. No man is going to go in the corner and start beating himself up. So if it contradicts the Bible, yes, you can divorce on the basis of what? A person beating you and also what other reason? It says it here. When someone is, in fact, an unbeliever that chooses to leave. So if an unbeliever, an unbelieving spouse chooses to leave, you should let them go. Let them go. Let the unbelieving uh, unbelieving spouse go. So it's this is um in 1 Corinthians 7 and 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So understand that your stereotypes could be influenced by your experience, your circumstances and situations, your interactions with other people, your pre-existing thoughts and belief systems, right? But it will limit your understanding. It is very problematic to have these stereotypes about people. So just because you went through one situation with one person doesn't equate to you having to go through that same experience with the same person or another person. So just because I went through this in the past, it doesn't mean that I'm going to go through that in my future. I don't attach myself to those things. I don't attach my happiness to external factors. I continue to move at a pace where it's congruent for me to thrive. And God allows me to thrive. So I'm not going to walk in unforgiveness, right? I'm not going to base what I've experienced with the next person because I've never been that way. You know, each person going to have their own spirit. They're going to either be led by the Holy Spirit or they're going to have a bunch of other spirits or maybe two or three spirits or multiple legions of spirits. But God tells us in his word to test and try the spirits. And we see this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 and 5. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So if a person say that, that Jesus Christ is uh, is God and that Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh because that's what the Bible tells us. They are from God. 
that spirit, that means that they have the Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit can influence them. That's what that means. When people speak of God, that is the Holy Spirit speaking through them. So in verse three, in every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. So we know that if a person, if they don't, if the spirit of someone is speaking is not confessing that, then guess what? It's not the Holy Spirit. And so, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. Verse four says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, speak they of the world and the world hear it them. So let me explain this. I want to really, really explain this. <laughs> this is so serious. This scripture to me because when you test and try the spirits of people, Sometimes it could be like, look, I just don't want to deal with you. Okay, call me once or twice a year. That's what I would I would get on that real quick with a part. Look, I will I would like to hear from you a couple times a year. We are talking too often. We're gonna talk once or twice a year, okay? Do you have anything you want to say now? You know, like <laughs> that. So Sometimes that's how I feel with certain discussions. And then God will come and speak to me like, look, you were, you were being a little harsh. You were being mean. You didn't have to say it like that. You need to go back and apologize. So <laughs> So it's like, wait, okay, so God, when God is talking to you, God isn't going to tell you do nothing bad. He going to make you reflect on yourself and be like, look, how, how did I contribute to the problem? What was my reaction? Even if this person is wrong about calling me at four o'clock in the morning. How did I react to them calling me at four o'clock in the morning? How did I react to them when they were speaking these things to me? How did I react to them when they were criticizing me? How did I react? And now I got to go back. I'm going to think about this and say, okay, you know what? That was wrong. Because even though some person criticizing you, you may think a person of that statue, another person of that quality or that, that similarity, you're going to be thinking, oh, you know what? You remind me of this person. You remind me of her. You remind me of him. Uh-uh. See, I don't like that. See, y'all Sagittarius. Now, nah, see them Pisces and Scorpios. I'm like, well, wait, 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 what? I am not trying to study astrology, okay? I don't study that. Well, I did before I started studying it because my daughter, she was she was into numerology and um, astrology at some point where she wanted to understand everything about numerology, okay? And so, <laughs> um, but I'm deterring a little bit. I don't want to deter. I'm, I'm just saying 
specifically that some people will will categorize people a person and say you know what you're you don't know that you inadvertently taking this mental shortcut to place this person in this group like you know this person like this and that they're like that you remind me of her you remind me of my ex you remind me of this girl you remind me of that boy you remind me of this teacher. You remind me of my coworker. You remind me of my manager. See, that's the that's one of the main problems. I stopped comparing people. I believe when I was I was very very young, probably still a teenager. Cause when I went through a traumatic experience and I actually was kidnapped, and when I went through this experience, there were certain people that was there for me after you know uh, the trauma that i experienced there were the people that was there for me i would never even expected them to be there and then the people who i really expected to have my back i couldn't i didn't even know where that was at they wasn't there with me like on the um next to me every single day checking on me making sure that i was okay it was the least of the people who i at least expected so my perception changed you know it's like look i I did i went through this traumatic experience where it's like woo, and i tell you my friends like the ones that i least expected i would never ever forget them ever and a couple of them are still here but let me explain when i tell you that when someone is there for you that you least expect you don't forget those people you might forget you might forget a stranger's name but you'll never forget if somebody paid your grocery bill in front of you will you you might you'll never forget who that neighbor was to help you out with your yard one day that you really need some help you never forget when you go through a traumatic experience and someone is there for you i had trauma and I experienced an extreme trauma of kidnap, okay? And I had people that I least expected to be there. They were at the bottom of the toning pole for me. And even to this day, I never forget them, ever. Every time I see them, I'm like, you need anything? What's up? How you doing? You good? <laughs> you, you want something to eat? You, you sure you ain't hungry? You sure you're not hungry? Hey, how you doing? You need anything? Uh, every time I see him, is you need anything? And so the point, the point is, is that my perspective changed about people because you may be thinking and looking at a person to be this certain way when really, in fact, they are not that way. So quick putting people in these mental creating these mental shortcuts about individuals and groups because the person who you least expect to be there will probably be the person that will so i want to move on to the next video where this is this was heinous um where he talked about that was a two-minute video the the second video after dr um dr uh banks so 
he talked about stereotypes and how it is an overgeneralized belief, right? And when you overgeneralize something, it's like, look, I feel, I, I'm trying to remember what is that. Um, hold on, let me give me one second, you. I'm trying to pull this. Let me pull this up. I'm trying to think of what is this? What is this called? Um, this is another type of bias too. One second. All right, so let me jump to the section. Okay, we got the confirmate. Um, okay, so yeah, I went over all these biases. You have the cultural bias, which is an implicit bias, but that that wasn't it. I'm trying to look for the one that I want to find. That that was not it. One second. That's not. That wasn't it. Okay. Oh, okay. Here we go. I found it. <laughs> I knew I was going to find it. So there are so many different biases, but I just want to really focus on how he referred to overgeneralized belief. Um, so this is how he has identified stereotypes as an overgeneralized belief. And it somewhat is, right? It is directly correlated to always uh, overgeneralizing certain groups and populations or individuals. Um, and so we have this attribution bias. So attribution bias is basically a cognitive distortion or a view of a behavior of the way we perceive other people. So that could be morals, their character, also considering external factors like um, if they're consistently blaming other people for their problems or failures, if they're always being overly critical of others or excusing their own mistakes without reflection, that's called attribution bias. Okay, so they tend to sort of speak in um, that's kind of like an intellectually dangerous type of judgment it's unfair judgment um and the only way to overcome attribution bias is actually through prayer and also empathy having empathy right empathy is the ability to understand that person's perspective right so if we're looking at um that that would also be like an overgeneralized belief attribution bias because people who have attribution bias, they're going to look at everybody as being distorted. They morals, characters, you know, they're going to be blaming others. Blaming other people is considered scapegoating. That That is what blaming others are. They say it's scapegoating. Um, so blaming other people, 
you know, just being overly critical of other people. That's attribution bias. This is also a stereotype, overgeneralized belief, overgeneralizing, right? Um, you have conformity bias, where conformity bias is also attached to stereotypes, right? Um, why is it attached to it? Because some people can vocally agree with others, even when they disagree. Even when they like internally disagree, they'll just agree just because, you know, like I, I don't, I personally wouldn't want to have a conversation with someone who just agrees with me, right? I want to hear that rebuttal. I want to be able to hear what you have to say, your reflection on things. Um, I don't want to just understand from my perspective because my understanding grows as I understand other people by what testing and trying their spirit. So conformity bias is also the way of understanding um, how to communicate your thoughts to other people. Right? Some people that have conformity bias, they, they are not going to just express themselves because of fear or they 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 fear that you know that person is going to judge them or you know like my friend not being able to read you know there are a lot of like he's very open about that he's not he wasn't embarrassed oh he he admitted and i mean just that transparency alone means that you're not afraid to acknowledge things like we see there was never a um acknowledgement that slavery was a horrible condition in america it created um you know heinous side effects to the belief systems of many american people it has been attached to all sort of subjectiveness I mean, the only president that actually apologized about it was Bill Clinton. No other president have. Why is that? Well, the lack of acknowledgement shows that his predecessors were clearly in denial. Because slavery did what? It impacted those who were involved in slavery. That's the oppressor and the oppressed, including both of their descendants. So how can such a strong action that has impacted the lives of millions of people fail to be acknowledged by many different presidents? So we understand that people, they lack ownership and accountability. So in order to change something, you can't change what you don't identify. So I'm going to say that again. You cannot change what you don't identify. We cannot change what we don't identify. So if we haven't identified it, acknowledged that a problem exists, then it'll continue to exist and prevail. 
when we think of this conformity bias, on the other hand, right, it's basically when someone is communicating their thoughts, instead of them really expressing themselves, they, they don't vocalize it out of fear of being judged. And so this is the impact that stereotyping have on other people. Going along with a group that's acting irresponsible or cruel. For instance, you can't get in my car with no drugs. I don't use drugs. Don't get in my car with that. If you go in this store, don't steal while you with me. Because I don't know you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have nothing to do with that. I don't steal. Don't involve me in something that I don't have nothing to do with. So like in Chicago, I have a no standing stone policy. And what that means is like family, friends, whoever, wherever, don't, don't stand around my car too long. Because I don't know what enemies you have out here. I don't know. I, I haven't seen you. I don't know what you've been doing. I love you. Don't get me wrong. I do. But don't stand around my car like this is a um kicking spot or something like that. I, I don't don't do that. Don't don't stand around. No, no, no. I'm getting out the car. Let's go in the house. Because yes, I love my family. Yes, I love my friends, but <laughs> I'm not with them all the time. I don't know what you out here doing. I pray for you. But I don't want to be around you. I don't know what you out here doing. So some people, you have to move at a cautious speed and rate. Some people, you can just go to their house. Yeah, what's going on? Let's barbecue. Let's sit right outside in the front of the barbecue. And then I have some friends that, that say, uh-uh, you don't, you don't put a barbecue grill in front of your house. <laughs> you don't barbecue in the front. That's ghetto. Like, okay, <laughs> fine. You know, <laughs> so it's like different, different personalities and characters. The people are all going to do different things. Each group, each person, they're going to have their own set of norms. So because this person chooses to barbecue in the front, are they wrong? Well, according to the person that barbecues in the back of their house, they're wrong to barbecue in the front. Well, the person that barbecue in the front, they're like, look, it's something wrong with you having to go all the way around the house to barbecue. What about the people pulling up? So this, this is something that's pretty common within the American culture. You know, you have some people that consider well we not uppity over here we gonna barbecue in the front well we gonna barbecue in the back so don't bring that ghetto-ness over here and i just i just laugh i say okay i'm not gonna argue with you about well, which one is right? Barbecuing in the front or barbecuing in the back? Look, I've been around both. 
both types of individuals who support the idea of barbecuing in the front, barbecuing in the back. Some people will barbecue on the street in front of their house. So that's just the way that it is. But the main thing is trying to understand how to overcome these stereotypes. So confirmation bias is really a product of people stereotyping a certain group of people. And so now they fear, they fear displaying their internal qualities because they feel like they are going to be judged. So in order for them to avoid being rejected socially, they just took, they just conform. They're not their authentic self. And so if you find yourself being someone who doesn't know how to communicate out of fear of social rejection, just simply say, look, I don't agree with that, but I would like to share my opinion. And if you don't want to hear it, that's fine. So really, there is no reason to hide your feelings or how you feel inwardly because other people have the inability to be able to listen, right? So mature adults are always going to be able to talk and not, not embark on um, these judgmental approaches that will cause people to have conformity bias. Because that also leads to stereotyping. Another stereotype that's attached to um, uh, stereotyping is beauty bias. Some people just judge other people just based upon their appearance. Right? So they make these assumptions like, okay, I think that you are attractive. So you are a good person. When really, let me explain. There was one of my friends a long time ago. Well, I guess he still is my friend. I just don't talk to him that often. Um, but he he was like uh I would say a wealthy man, right? And he will always come up with all of these new innovative ideas to expand his business and stuff like that. And so he would get upset about Google all the time. Now, this is when Google was really starting to expound on, on a lot of different territories with marketing efforts, their their um Google ads and, and charging. Um, they were charging businesses to have their ads placed at the top. And I think that this is was one of their main marketing efforts that Google was doing at the time. So we, we had went out to lunch because he wanted to talk about Google. So these are like the different, you know, like I'm sitting, I don't want to hear about Google for hours. I just want to eat this salad and drink this wine. That's all. I don't want to, I don't care. Like I, I'm listening, but it's becoming bothersome, right? So <laughs> like this, this man had a lot of different women that just really like him. And he just would not, he didn't understand why I didn't look at him like that. And it was mainly because I didn't see the beauty internally. Because it isn't about your 
outward appearance. I mean, I had people tell me like, look, what type of man you dating? You dating a man look like a gorilla. He looked like a gorilla. Like, <laughs> like my ex-husband, he looked like, oh, uh, they call him African, um, African names and stuff. It was funny. It's funny though. Like we laugh at it and stuff, you know? And then my oldest kid's father, he just, you know, ah, well, <laughs> I, I guess for me, it isn't always about, um, the external factors of the appearance. Cause I've dated a person that was like 140 pounds with tattoos, even on the eyes. And then somebody that's like 400 pounds. So that really doesn't matter to me. What really matters is what's internal, the internal qualities. So some people would say, okay, well that, that man is wealthy. He can do pretty much anything. He asked me, he said one day, he said, I got this pro approval. I got an approval for a house. I got a um, $350,000 approval letter. I can get it up to $500,000. I want you to go pick up out a house. Um, I would like for you to move in this house with me. I was like, well, wait, like, what do you mean? You never even met my kids. You think I'm moving in the house with you? What are you talking about? No, that's not what I want to do. So like for me, it wasn't the fact that he wasn't in externally successful, right? Yes, he was. But the lack of focus on other people, the lack of having compassion on others, um, the inability to, you know, just be relatable in some situations or even try to be relatable, even if it's an indirect correlation, the inability to connect, you know, that that's the problem for me because I didn't come from that type of, uh, upbringing. My mother taught me that it doesn't matter what a person is doing in their life. Right, someone can be on drugs, and it could be a crackhead, or somebody just constantly on drugs, and they right across the street, and they see something happening to you, but you so mean and rude that they will never ever intervene for you. They won't intervene. Why? Because you are not a good person to them. Like I'm not about to go over there and help them. I'm not gonna risk my life trying to help them. But if you are a good person. And you see something happening to someone that, that that has helped you. You're going to remember that. Like, oh, no, nah, you ain't coming at her like that. They're going to intervene on your behalf. So my family is really, really um, popular <laughs> in where, we, where I'm from. So my, um, my uncle is was the godfather. Um and my cousins are all very very popular too so when you when you think about these connections and how some people just communicate with you it is about the way that they have built their reputation and how they have carried themselves so when I say Godfather, I, I think of the name itself and I'll be like, that is a violation of what the word of God says, because God says do not call any man father. So I don't I don't like that idea of of having a name as the Godfather. 
But I didn't find out that my uncle was a godfather until he passed away. I didn't even know that the whole entire time in my whole life. My entire life. I did not know that my uncle was the godfather. So I'm sitting here like, ooh, how I didn't know this? Because these are not prominent discussions in our households. Our family don't talk about things like that. We talk about things that uh, about love and helping people and servicing the, the community and how they can help these people get elected into office. So, you know, it's really about what's internal. So these beauty biases that people have, they connect their external appearances and they have this sort of halo effect to assume that because they look nice externally, they're, they're good internally. When in fact, they are not. And so the beauty bias that has the halo effect attached to it is something that is a stereotype that really, really needs to be extinguished. So quit thinking that because somebody is externally cute or fine, that they are internally the same. So you have to look at a person's internal qualities and um, match that to the qualities of saying, okay, is that something that, is this something that I could see myself like networking with you? You, you are a good person. I love your idea on that. I love that idea, you know? So it's about really seeing people even though they are imperfect, but seeing them from the perspective, the way that God sees them. And we shouldn't be looking at people based upon your, um, you know, how they have hurt you or this and that. Don't walk and live in unforgiveness. Forgive people. But just understand, okay, do they have, do that person have the potential to do this again? And if they do have the potential to do it again, just work with them cautiously. Be cautious with them. But don't live in unforgiveness. That's not, that's not from God. So I'm going to end on that note tonight, okay? And I will see you all on Thursday. Um, this already at the two-hour mark here. Um, I really do appreciate you all so much. Please do keep me in your prayers too, right? Um... And so I'm going to end on that on Thursday. Hopefully I'll be able to talk about the future of ex-offenders and um, combating recidivism. We need to really, really be able to combat recidivism in these marginalized communities where people are unable to get, find housing, careers, and provide support to their families after they have served their time in jail. So that is something that we need to all sort of come together and talk about okay all right so let me go ahead and pray father god we thank you so much for um your word thank you for allowing me and using me to speak your word and um provide more in-depth understanding of stereotypes and god i we really appreciate you we ask that you continue to transform our lives allow us not to be conformed to this world god but be transformed by the renewing of our minds god we also thank you right now that you have taken our thoughts into captivity for anything that 
exalt itself above your knowledge and we make our thoughts obedient to christ right now in the name of jesus christ we thank you god for allowing us to be inspired and encouraged by your word and just allow us to grow and improve in areas where we need to improve god remove the stereotypes remove all of these biases and subjectivity that disallows us from moving forward and walking in, in forgiveness god allow us to do that allow us not to have these mental shortcuts or have these general over generalized beliefs that are preventing us from building connections and relationships with people god allow us to build strong connections and relationships that leads to good networks and business opportunities, God. So God, we just thank you that you open up doors of opportunity for us, God. Do the power of your Holy Spirit. Greater is the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us than the spirit that is in this world. We give you glory, praise, and honor, God. We ask that you please remove every obstacle and barrier in our path and you handle it. You pivot us and position us exactly where we need to be maneuvered so that we will be able to accomplish your plan, will, and goals in our life. God, we want your will to be done not our will, not the will that other people want for us, not the plans that other people have for us or our plans. God, we want your plan, your will, and your purpose fulfilled in our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Okay. Thank you all so much for joining me. I will see you all on Thursday. Have a good night.